Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and today I have an exciting episode to share with you. This week, I spoke with Lynn Olson about her newest book, Empress of the Nile, the daredevil archaeologist who saved Egypt's ancient temples from destruction. This is the fascinating story of the feisty French archaeologist who led the international effort to save ancient Egyptian temples from the floodwaters of the Aswan Dam. And it has an unexpected Jackie Kennedy crossover. Lynn Olson is a New York Times bestselling author of nine books of history, most of which focus on World War II. Former U.S. Secretary of State Madeleine Albright has called her our era's foremost chronicler of World War II politics and diplomacy. Without further ado, here is my interview with Lynn Olson. Here I am joined by best-selling author Lynn Olson to talk about her newest book, Empress of the Nile, the daredevil woman archaeologist who saved Egypt's ancient temples from extinction. Lynn, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to talk about this, but before we get started, can you please let the audience know a little bit about yourself? I started my career as a journalist. I was uh, I worked for the Associated Press and for the Baltimore Sun uh, for about 10 years. And then I got tired of daily journalism and decided to go into longer form writing. Uh, I was a freelance writer, mostly for magazines for a number of years. And then I started writing books um, and have been doing that really for almost 30 years. I now have written nine books. Uh, they're all history nonfiction history. Most of them deal with World War II, although my latest book that we're going to talk about, uh, although it has something to do with World War II, is really more about Egypt and uh, ancient Egypt and modern Egypt. Absolutely. It's so fascinating. This is truly such an intriguing story. How did your personal interest in Christiane, is it Roche? That's how I've been reading it. It's a, her name is, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a mouthful. It's Christiane de Roche Noblecore. Noblecore okay. was her um, husband's name. And uh, unusually for the time she lived in, you know, she got married in the, in the early 1940s. She actually hyphenated both her, you know, her maiden name and her, her married name, which makes, as I said, is, is really quite a mouthful. Yeah, it's quite <laughs> the name. Um, how did your interest in her originally come to be? I wasn't interested in doing her at all in the beginning. I was looking around for a, a, a subject for my new book, for a new book. And uh, because I had written so much about World War II and also the French resistance, uh, my previous book had been about a major heroine in the French resistance. And so I was kind of looking around, you know, for possibly another uh, woman from the French resistance. And I found her. Uh, she was in the French resistance in, in during the war. She was actually uh, the acting curator of Egyptian antiquities at the Louvre. So she would work in the Louvre during the week and then resist the Germans on the weekends and at night. But the more I read about her, the more I thought, oh, I'm not going to do anything, you know, broader about the resistance. I think I'll just focus on her because her life was so fascinating, not only during the war, but particularly after the war, uh, when she really got involved in ancient Egypt. 
I decided, okay, um, you know, I'm going to switch my my uh, focus a little bit here and, yeah, write about the war a little bit, but then also go into what she did after the war to save these temples uh, from being destroyed. Yeah, and she's such a trailblazer. And that led you to kind of coin her as a female Indiana Jones. So what made you, you know, give her that name? Well, she was she was very much like the you know the movie character. She mm-hmm. was uh, she loved adventure. She loved danger. She wouldn't let anybody, especially men, tell her what to do. You know, she was really out there all the time. Right, really, right from the beginning. You know, right from her childhood. She uh, grew up in in Paris um, shortly after she was born in 1913. And grew up in Paris at a time when young women of her social status, which was quite high, uh, were expected to just be wives and mothers, um, you know, for the rest of her lives. And and she was raised by some very forward thinking parents who, who basically told her right from the beginning that she could do whatever she wanted to do. And she took that seriously. And she, she became enamored of ancient Egypt, uh, early on, you know, when she was nine years old, um, there was this amazing archeological discovery, uh, this was in 1922 of King Tut's tomb, King Tutankhamun's tomb. And that was a, a worldwide sensation. And Christiane uh, loved the story. She she was just fascinated um, by the finding of this tomb and, and what it all meant. What were, you know, all these treasures that were found in Tut's tomb, what did they mean? Why were they there? And so that really started her on her path to becoming an Egyptologist, which what at the time really until the mid-20th century, was only a man's club. I mean, you know, basically only men were part of that club. Women were not, uh, were were shunned from it. And and she persisted. She, she, was incredibly smart. She she was actually brilliant. She was at the top of her class all the time, and, and she just refused to let them stop her. They tried very hard to do that, but she refused to let them do it. So great. And one of the things, like you just shared, it's so interesting about her and Jackie Kennedy is how they broke through these barriers and kind of just shattered that box that women were so put in at that time. I've discussed Jackie in this way before in many ways, but what is your personal favorite way that you learned that Christiane did that in her way, breaking through those barriers? Well, I don't know if there was one event uh, where she did it. I suppose one of the most interesting uh, things I remember about her is that when she was in her early 20s, uh, she got this prestigious position as a fellow in Cairo at at France's it was it's called the Institute for Oriental Archaeology and it's it's the premier research center for ancient Egypt and only a few fellows were named every year it was it was it, you know it was a plum job for a young uh, archaeologist interested in in Egypt um and she was the first woman to be appointed and when she arrived there all the men who were her fellow fellows there rose up in revolt. They asked the director to kick her out. They said they could not come uh, to breakfast in their pajamas anymore. And, you know, that they didn't want her anywhere. They wouldn't refuse to have anything to do with her. You know, and it that just 
floored her. She couldn't believe that they would react that way. But it, in fact, that is the way that most of her male colleagues treated her for much of the rest of the time, you know, much, much of the rest of her life. But she was just absolutely determined to prove herself. You know, in her first dig, which occurred right after that in Egypt, uh, she made this amazing discovery of an unplundered tomb, which was really unusual. You know, that's why King Tut's, uh, the discovery of King Tut's tomb was so incredible because it was the first pharaoh's tomb that had been founded that had not been robbed. And she made a similar discovery. So, you know, right from the beginning, she made it clear that that she was to be taken seriously. That's fantastic. Can you tell the audience a bit about how Jackie saved some Egyptian artifacts as well? Absolutely. I mean, this was, you know, obviously, you know, when I started writing this book, I knew all about or knew much about uh, Christiane. I had absolutely no idea that Jackie Kennedy was involved in the saving of these temples um, that Christian uh, Christian led basically the, a crusade to save these temples in, in the late 1950s, early uh, 1960s. They were about to be destroyed by the uh, uh, construction of a new, huge new dam in Egypt. And once that dam was constructed, uh, the floodwaters from that dam were going to swallow up some of the most priceless temples in the country. And so, I mean, obviously that was that was a big story back then. And, and I obviously I knew about her, Christiane's role in that. I had no idea Jackie Kennedy was involved until I started doing my research. And in fact, it turned out to be true. I mean, there were only two women um, who were major players in this extraordinary archaeological rescue. And that was Jackie Kennedy and Christiane de Roche Noble Corps. Mm, wow. And, you know, the, the fact the fact that Christiane was was involved, is, you know, is pretty understandable. Um, you know, she's an Egyptologist. Uh, she worked in ancient Egypt. But Jackie Kennedy, I mean, you know, how did that happen? Uh, so so I was just thrilled to find that out. And, you know, so I, you know, found out more about her and, and how she actually came to to be involved. Yeah. Why do you think the roles of these two amazing women in saving Egyptian artifacts is so little known? And also, why did they not know about the contributions the other had made? Oh, yeah, it's a great, great question. It's little known because neither of them was seeking credit, you know, which is true of a lot of women. You know, women who do extraordinary things often don't get credit because they didn't, you know, try to get it, unlike a lot of men. Um, and that was true in both cases. Uh, Jackie Kennedy got involved because, well, first of all, she she found out about what was going on in Egypt. She found out about this campaign um, to save the temples, and she was fascinated by it. And it, as it turned out, you know, she her husband had just been elected president. This is in 1960. So this was really in 1961 that she she became involved in this. Um, and uh, before John Kennedy was elected president. Uh, the U.S. administration wanted nothing to do with helping to save these temples. Back then, the administration was very anti-Egypt and very anti-Gamal um, Nasser, who was the president of Egypt. Nasser was a, an, a nationalist. Uh, he refused to enter into alliances with the United States or any other Western country. Um, and, and for the Eisenhower administration, 
they equated that with communism. So they figured uh, Nasser was a communist because he wouldn't he wouldn't cooperate uh, with the U.S. And so, you know, when when these temples were under siege, under da- in, in danger, the government refused to have anything to do with the attempts to save the temples. And in order for the temples to be saved, the Americans had to get involved. The U.S. was the only country with enough money um, to make a major difference in 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 saving the, the temples. So you, you have the Eisenhower administration saying no, and then you have John Kennedy being elected. The first year she was first lady, Jackie Kennedy thought it was important for the U.S. to have a role in this. And she basically prevailed on her husband to um, to think about, you know, asking Congress to authorize the money to make sure that temples were in fact rescued. And that's what he did. But she did this all behind the scenes. She absolutely refused to take any credit for it all. She she was doing you know a lot of the heavy lifting. She was lobbying Congress. Um, she was talking to other administration officials, but she wanted no publicity attached to what she was doing at all. So as a result, almost nobody knows the um, really crucial role she played in this um, amazing archaeological rescue. And Christiane was the same. She was, of course, much more out there. She was she was leading the charge um, and was involved all the way through. But she never sought credit either. So, um, you know, when the temples were finally rescued, there were a number of men, a number of other organizations involved. They were the ones that took the credit and gave none to Christiane, which really didn't bother her. Yeah. So as a result, these two women... They only met once um, in 1973. So well after, and you know, um, Jackie then was married to uh, Aristotle Onassis. Um, the the temples had been saved, so they met once in in, in Egypt. And as far as I, I can tell, or anybody can tell, neither of them had any idea of the role the other had played. It's just extraordinary. It is. Uh, it is. I mean, really. It's it's mind blowing, um, but I, that's true. Wow, it's so incredible. I do think it's interesting that they did end up crossing paths too. Do you mind to tell a little bit about that story of her actually being their personal tour guide for Jackie, Aristotle, Nassus, Caroline, and John Jr. while they vacationed in Egypt? That's right. Yeah, this was in 1973, and uh, Christiane was uh, at that point. Uh, I think it was the early spring of of uh, 73. And uh, she was involved, very heavily involved in a dig uh, that was going on in Egypt. And she got a call from the French government saying that that Jackie Onassis and her husband and and children and uh, another people wanted to go on a dig, wanted to see a dig. And they asked if Christiane would would host um, this party. And she really wasn't happy because she was nearing the end of the time that they had to, that they were there and she had a lot of work to do. But she she agreed. And uh, so she met up with Jackie. And then during that meeting, she met Onassis, who was incredibly rude to her. And one thing Christiane uh, refused to put up with is rudeness on the part of men that she demonstrated over and over in her life. 
And so she basically, the, the two of them basically had at it and uh, during that meeting. And she thought that, okay, he's not going to show up the next day, or maybe none of them are going to show up. But in fact, they did uh, at, at, at her dig. She took them all over the dig, uh, you know, thinking, you know, I, I'm not going to have anything much to do with them. I can't stand this man. And he turned out to be, he apologized for what he had done the day before. And he turned out to be, uh, in her mind, uh, a really interesting um, man who was who was very interested in what was going on, you know, at the dig. So, I mean, the, the funny thing and kind of the sad thing is that she basically focused on him during this long time that they were together rather than Jackie, because um, Jackie was it was quiet as she normally was and, and, and really didn't, um, you know, stop, uh, Onassis was, was a larger than life figure. And so was Christiane. So I think that's that they gravitated toward each other. The Onassis loved her. She really liked them. Um, and so um, when she was in Paris next, she Christiane was in Paris next, uh, Jackie and uh, Ari Onassis invited her to dinner, uh, she, uh, invited Christiane and her husband to dinner. And they had dinner. And in, and in fact, uh, Ari asked her, them, the um, Christiane and her husband, to come and stay with him and Jackie uh, the following summer at his island, his Greek island. But unfortunately, he died um, a few months later, and, and that never happened. I just wished that Christiane had taken more time to talk to um, Jackie because Jackie was in her own way as passionate about ancient Egypt and preservation um, as Christiane. And, and so I think they would have had a wonderful time getting to know each other, but that never happened, unfortunately. It is pretty crazy, though, that they still, you know, almost were brought together by fate in some way or the, another after they had, you know, advocated for you know, saving all of this for so long. I think it's such an inspiring story. It really is. And this book is incredible. You have done an amazing job. Everyone go to the link in the description of this episode, purchase Empress of the Nile. You will not regret it. It is fantastic. Lynn, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Oh, thank you, Allison. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss when a new episode is available. Also, if you like the podcast, please rate it five stars and write a positive written review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show so much. I've been sharing a lot of news lately, so make sure that you are following me on Instagram at Kennedy Dynasty or on Facebook, Kennedy Dynasty there. That's all I've got, and I'll talk to you next week. Come on and vote for Kennedy. Vote for Kennedy. Keep America strong. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.